everyone. Welcome to the Five Beer Plan. I'm Brian, and this is the ongoing saga of an everyman's ale trail. In this episode, I'll share some thoughts on the first year, finish up with Dan Potter from Archival Brewing in Belmont, Michigan, and review The Duke Says Nine from Archival Brewing. In this segment of Tales from the Trail, it's time to take a flight return to the year that was 2022. It's hard to believe that 12 months ago, I was releasing my teaser episode with more than a little bit of fear and trepidation. As a creative person, I'm no stranger to having my works laid out for all to hear or see. It's even scarier when you create content in a way that you've never done before that will live on forever in cyberspace. So first of all, I want to extend a huge thank you to each of my Barstool Banter guests this year. John, Chris at Brass Ring, Chris at Ice Tier, Mark at Adroit Theory, Josh at Chapman's, Spree, Corey at Twin Oast, Nick at Brewery Nicks, Ben at Albion Malleable, Linus at Trace Gatos, and Dan at Archival. Thank you each for taking time out of your busy schedules to sit down and talk about the unique approach each of you bring to the craft brewing industry. Keep up the great work. And don't hesitate to reach out if you have something new that you want to talk about or have a new beer you'd like me to review. Second, I want to raise a glass and say cheers to each and every one of you, the listener, who's tuned in to my ramblings over the past 12 months. By the time we wrap up the year, I'll have over 500 unique listens to the 24 episodes. That averages to about 20 listeners per episode, which wildly exceeds my expectations. So thank you. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm no expert when it comes to beer, but I am happy to share what I've learned along the way. Third, I hope you'll continue to listen in for the coming year and invite along a friend or two. The craft brewing industry is constantly changing, which leaves me a lot of topics for conversation. There continues to be an ongoing tension between the opening and closing of breweries, supply chain interruptions, employee retention, and of course brewers trying to stay true to who they are and not trying to keep up with the latest trends. I'm always on the lookout for places to visit and promote, so if there's a region or town you want me to check out, or even a unique twist on a brewery, please let me know. Fourth, it was great to hear from a couple of my listeners this season who had specific questions that they wanted me to explore and share. If you have topics in mind, or even ideas on how I can make things more relevant, interesting, or even more interactive to you, please contact me via Instagram, 5beerplan2022, or via email, 5beerplan at frontier.com. I'm always looking for ways to entertain and educate my audience. Plus, I love to learn new things. And finally, I'm going to mix things up a bit in the next season to keep the content fresh and engaging. Every other episode, I'm going to introduce a new segment called Looking for Lupulin, where I will highlight a hop variety and, if I'm able, review a beer that contains that specific single hop. I hope that you've enjoyed the first season of the 5 Beer Plan podcast and that you'll find the next season just as interesting. This week's hop hack is a continuation of my home brewing journey. Actually, I'm going to turn this into a short periodic segment called Homebrew Hijinks. I'm not sure how often it will get featured, but I'm looking forward to sharing my experience. This time, I'm going to review the instructions that came with my Northern Brewers Kama Citra Session IPA kit.
So this particular set of instructions, basically it is two eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper, front and back. So I guess I'm gonna kind of treat this like I would my, my beer review. So there are two segments uh, of this. Uh, the first is brew day, and the second is bottling day. So uh, I've scanned through this. Uh, looks like uh, once you get through brew day, you leave your beer 14 days to ferment, and then after that you bottle it, and then you leave it for another two weeks before you can refrigerate and enjoy it. So first off, some of the equipment that's necessary besides what came with the kit is that I need to have a pot that holds two gallons of water with a lid. I need to have a one-gallon pitcher of some sort, timer, uh, scissors, tablespoon, towel, dish rack, a couple of small bags of ice, and a kitchen spoon. So really, there isn't a whole lot that's required uh, on my end. Fortunately, you know, I have all this equipment on hand already, although I did end up purchasing a one-gallon pitcher that I'm going to use exclusively for the brewing process. Really do hope that I can, I can do this more than just one time. Honestly, the instructions are pretty straightforward. Next time, we'll actually talk about getting things ready for brew day. Now, it's time for Barstool Banter. This week, I'm wrapping up my conversation with the one and only Dan Potter from Archival Brewing in Belmont, Michigan. I just want to reiterate, if you are anywhere in the greater Grand Rapids, Michigan area for a beercation, don't overlook Archival Brewing. They have some really unique beers that you will never get anywhere else. So listen in as Dan and I talk about their distribution and several of the historical beers that they brew there. So you said you're going to have four at the moment that you're going to be canning up. Yeah. What are the four beers you're going to going to have as like what your flagships then? Yeah, we've got our Kranz Kolsch. Oh, I love that one. That uh, one at Burning Fest. Oh, God. Yeah, you, I actually, you, we got a couple honorable mentions from uh, your drinking buddies there. Yeah. They sold out of us there. Not only did I bring it to the pre-party for the volunteers the night before, they drank it all. They drank a keg of it, and then I brought one to the festival and drank all of that, too. And uh, another uh, company, Better on Draft, listed us as one of the top eight beers at the festival was that Colch. So we're excited nice. to have cans and put that into distribution. Congrats. Thank you. Um, and then we're doing our uh, Cloud Piercer, which is our New Zealand Pilsner, which is a uh, Great yep. Pilsner beer featuring uh, New Zealand hops, which has got a much bigger hop profile than than most Pilsners. That one is a great beer too that people can't keep their hands off of once once they try it. It just it, it's just, amazing. I've had that one as well. Now this one, I'm actually drinking one right now. And uh, little kudos to one of your previous episodes about the American IPA. And this is our Fritz's Folly West Coast style IPA. I'm not sure if you're aware, but it's Fritz's Folly, named after Fritz Maytag, who was the brewer at Anchor Brewing Company that came up with the original recipe. And it's a Cascade-only, single-hop variety, West Coast IPA. And it's close to his recipe as we could make it. And uh, that it's our only really American-style IPA that we brew. It's a great one. Wait till you see the artwork on that, because what, what we're doing is we're actually telling a story through the artwork also. So instead of putting words telling the story on the can, we're telling it through the art. So it's really cool. There's an anchor on the beach with like a crab hanging off of it with the Golden Gate Bridge in the background. Okay. 
gives that uh, nod to Anchor Brewing and uh, obviously named after Fritz Maytag with uh, Fritz's Folly and, uh, you know, a little West Coast vibe on it. So cool. that was pretty cool. And then currently we have our Reese's Green, our Oktoberfest, which is a Marzen style fest beer. Uh, we'll have that until it's gone. And then I think I heard some rumors that we're putting our highly sought after Kotbusser style beer, which is what we call a lost style of beer because that was brewed in Germany pre Reinheitsgebot. So before the purity laws were really kind of officially finalized in 1906 and they made any beer that didn't have water, grain, hops, or yeast in it ceased from production. And it was, uh, it came from the Kotbusser region of Germany and it was a Kolsch style beer with added wheat, oats, honey, and molasses. And those ingredients violate the German purity law. So it was ceased from production. Uh, we called it the Duke says nine. <laughs> And that beer is still forgotten about style in Germany today. I met a guy at the Ypsilanti Summer Beer Festival that told me, I am from Germany. He's like, I live in Germany. And this style of beer is still forgotten about there today. And he thanked us repeatedly. He stood in line for 45 minutes to try that beer and told us the story. And he said that he'd always wanted to try the style. And one time he paid $250 going to a lottery and he won. And he won that lottery and that allowed him to pick the brewery's beer that they were going to brew that day on their small batch system. And he chose that style. And uh, that was the first time he ever tried it. And he told me that this summer in Ypsilanti was the second time he ever had an opportunity to try that style of beer. So we won a gold medal in the World Expo of Beer this year for that, for the historical beer category. Ah, congrats. Uh, rumor has it that we're putting that into six packs. So that's going to be really exciting, something you can't get from anyone else. Then the other rumor is that our Harwood Porter is going to go into six packs. So at the moment, then, the only way you can get a hold of the beer in cans is at the tap room, then. So we're in the tap room. There's a couple local Grand Rapids markets. Um, and within the next couple of weeks, uh, they're going to be showing up on shelves. Uh, also in the local Grand Rapids area, I'm going to kind of start out with, you know, the, the party store across the street and okay. then kind of keep going from there until we can get as many places as we can <laughs> before we run out of beer. Excellent. Well, I have to try to get a hold of that cost booster style. That sounds really fantastic. I'm a big yeah. fan of molasses, so if it's got any kind of like a molasses tone to it, I, I mean, it's going to be amazing. The molasses is great because it's it's subtle, but it really, it kind of lingers right at the tail end of it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, usually a coal should have a nice bite on the end, and that bite's still there, but it, it kind of really just smooths it out and leaves a, a nice little lingering sweetness that doesn't stay there forever. It kind of does disappear, but it just hangs on for that little bit extra moment of enjoyment. Uh, it sounds great. So you know a lot about brewing. Have you homebrewed yourself? Yeah, I've homebrewed. Uh, I've never professionally brewed. Okay. But I definitely have dabbled with the home brewing in the past and, and had a lot of fun with it and, you know, learned some things and learned some ways that you don't do it because it just doesn't work. 
and made some great beers, made some beers that were like, what the heck happened? Have you have you helped out at all with the brewing there at Archival, other than just like hoisting bags or dumping things out? No, I just uh, sell the beers for them, and I, I think I'm their job security. Hey, somebody's got to do that. <laughs> and That's taste. Right. I mean, you've got to be quality control, too. That's right. Hey, now, okay, I do help out on that aspect. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think personally that would be like one of the best perks of working at a, at a brewery is, uh, you know, saying, hey, how's that coming? Is it, is it ready to be tasted yet? No, no, it's still got another two weeks. Oh, man. That's no, the worst that part is, is the waiting. Uh, I I always appreciate it when like one of the brewers comes up to the tap room and they know I'm there and they'll bring me samples like, hey, you got to try this. This is blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, oh, I get to try this right now. I tried one that we had put into barrels and it was in barrels for about four or five months and they had me taste it. And I was like, this might be one of the best things I've ever had. But then it stayed in the barrel for another six months. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was telling everyone, oh man, we got this really great barrel age, blah, blah, blah coming along, but it took about six months till it showed up. So I think that's another thing that people don't realize is that brewing, you know, it's, it's a chemical reaction that you're doing, but it also takes time. You've got to be really, really patient. Time is the fifth ingredient to brewing. I don't think Germany's going to change their law for time. Even though they might need to get that rid of that law. It's been long enough, but hey, it still makes good beer. I love the story of people you run into that have run across the styles that you're, you're putting out there. I remember, I think one of the first historical styles I ever had was probably a grisette, where basically oh, yeah. you just, they just throw whatever they want in and kind of, it was kind of weird, kind of earthy, kind of muddy. It was just, it was different, but I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting, you know, having a quote unquote historical style beer. Again, I love the fact that's what you guys are really focusing on there at the tap room. Yeah, that's it's a lot of fun, and I can't give away too much information, but I can tell you that we're we're gonna do a style of beer that pretty much nobody has ever heard of. And when Levi told me that, he was he's like, I can almost guarantee you that even you, Dan, have not heard of this beer. And I was like, all right, challenge accepted. Uh, sounds exciting, and I think that a lot of other people might perk up some more ears across the industry. Like, wait what is that? So that's going to be exciting. And I don't know the timeline on that, but uh, I think we're starting to just tease people with the idea that, Hey, well, there's something you've never heard of. And you think you haven't heard of this stuff. Just wait. We'll even stump your best beer buddies. That's awesome. Incredible. So Levi is your head brewer and he's also co-owner, Levi right? Is, Levi uh, is kind of the brainchild behind the whole thing. Him and his wife, Callie own the place. Our head brewer is Jake Steele. He comes to us from uh, quite a diverse background of brewing, does a great job and nails him. I'm impressed every single time. But Levi's kind of the brainchild behind it. He's the one that finds the recipes and uh, you know works with Jake on the different types of, of malt and yeast strains and things like that that they're going to do. Kind of came up with the whole concept. You know, He's the one that saw that there was really a lack of anybody in West Michigan that was doing historic beers. And then the other thing that he noticed is that there's nobody really distributing them in West Michigan or even really the entire state for that matter. You know, the system that we have is set up to do things that other systems can't, you know, we're set up to do triple decoctions. That's a, you know, decoction brewing is, takes a lot more time, but we're doing it on 
quite a few beers on a regular basis and it's just kind of been part of the brewer's day they've just gotten used to it and and once they've really seen the final results that we're getting with these beer putting that extra time into them they're kind of sold on the idea that hey it's going to take longer but it's worth it tell me what the triple decoction is i've never heard of that terminology before so the decoction is in layman terms you're going to take part of the wart and you're going to put it back into the mash and kind of filter it back through again the idea originally was because you didn't have these modern day you know natural gas heating elements that we have so in order to keep it to the temperature that you needed you had to take the wart off the boil put it back through the mash you know collect it okay filters through put it back into the pot and keep it going uh you know traditionally they used uh like hot stones and they put it into the kettle to keep temperatures up and do things like that so you know you can do a single decoction a double decoction or a triple decoction so you know you can kind of imagine that each time you're doing another one completely extends the the process for the day by hours and hours thank you I learned something new today. What is your favorite style of beer? I don't know if I have. I have a go-to, you know, which is kind of everybody's when you walk into a new place and you're like, all right, look at all those tap handles. And you're like, I know that one. And, you know, usually it's just a nice, clean IPA. That's always my easy go-to. But but I feel like the more and more I have been getting into beer and even now working with archival, I tend to be going towards some of the more simple styles. Like I'll be like, holy crap, someone's got a Kolsch. I got to try that. You know, I just went to Colorado and there's a brewery out there, Prost, and they do all German beers and yep. tried their Kolsch and it was good. I'll bet. But I was like, man, ours is better. And I was like, bias <laughs> now? For me, the same. I don't really have a go-to necessarily. I certainly will try the lager, the Pilsner, the Kolsch, whatever the lighter beer is at a brewery, just as a kickoff, just to like see, okay, well, is it good? Is it not good? If somebody's got a great taste in Kolsch, my curiosity's peaked because if you can do that well. I think a lot of people, they don't know or they don't realize that sometimes you go into these craft breweries and if you order that lager style, it's really going to showcase the brewer's abilities because they are actually harder to make. Yes. You walk in and you have a really good Pilsner or a really great Kolsch or something along that lines of the lager, you know, and you're sitting there going, holy crap, this is good. That's a testament to the brewer's ability. And I think that if they can nail that, then everything else is probably going to be on point also. Right. You can you can hide behind a, a an IPA or a stout or something like that. You can add some adjuncts and whatnot. But when you get to those clean styles, you're basically, you know, running around naked, you know, brewing, right? <laughs> so that's a great way to put it. Is there a, a least favorite style that you have? Naked beers. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my least favorite style is bad beer. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of it out there. And uh I never point out any names, but sometimes you come across something and you're like, oh, why did they do that? They shouldn't have done this. This is not my really least favorite style. I'm not a big fan of people putting hot peppers into my beer. 
I have had some really, you know, dark and delicious beers that they have some peppers mixed in there that they're very subtle, maybe a Chipotle or something. And and you barely notice it and like, that's okay. But if this beer's in your face with something spicy and especially if you're at one of these big beer tasting events or beer festivals and you take a sip out of one and your palate's wrecked for a half an hour, it really diminishes everything. So I'd say pepper beers are my absolute least favorite. I can appreciate and understand that. Is there a, a beer out there that you've always wanted to try, but due to distribution or maybe seasonal nature, you haven't been able to get a hold of it? Most definitely. I think that the one that really stands out for me is probably Pliny the Younger. Because mm-hmm. I've never been to California, and I don't think anybody can mule it to me fast enough for it to be fresh. I need to, I need to go there and try it and, and do it right. I think when I go to California, that's going to be like the top, thing on my list to go do and i gotta time it to the right season too so exactly that's high on my list as well so if you're ready for a road trip at some point let me know all right so one last fun question i always ask everybody i I interview if you were a beer what style would you be and why no i tried to wrap my brain around this one too and uh instead i found myself just studying all the beer styles again (laughs) trying to figure out which one matched me the best I'd have to go with something, some sort of wild ale, something that's, you know, open fermented. It's got a bunch of spores that are, could be seasonal, could be whatever else. But, um, you know, being from Michigan, I feel like every season brings a different beer. And one of my favorite times of the year is summer. And usually that's when the sour beers come out. And that's usually one of my go-to things in the summer is those wonderful, tart tasting, funky beers. And uh, sometimes I feel a little funky myself. So. <laughs> I love that. Another question just came to my mind. Do you ever have ever any plans to get a cool ship there at the brewery? We actually have one. You do? Okay. Yeah. Nice. We most definitely do. We've got all the toys. <laughs> okay. One of the local uh, brewery speciation sellers, familiar with them? Yes, sir. We've already done collabs with them, you know, and I think they've even come over and used our cool ship before at, on other occasions. That's one of the the neat, cool things that we do have. Another one of the neat, cool things that we have that may be part of that uh, upcoming project that I was teasing to you earlier is we have a couple of fermentation vessels known as amphoras. And the amphoras are terra clay pot fermentation vessels. So we do have some projects with those that are going to be upcoming. And those those are pretty rare. Not a lot of breweries have those either. Um, I think we had to get those from India or something along that nature. How large are the vessels themselves? I've never heard of an amphora myself. These amphoras, you know, if I were to guess, they're probably somewhere between seven and 10 barrel fermentation vessels. And we've got two of those. So nice, cool little small batch stuff. Uh, Terra clay is, is a lot more porous and changes things. Everything's different. There's a couple different breweries in the United States that do use them for beer production, but most people use them for wine production. Okay. It's going to be interesting project. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And I'm excited for that when we get to that point. And uh, they're really cool because the way that they sit, you can actually harvest the yeast from the bottom of them pretty easily and uh, continue to use them and just continue doing different ongoing projects with them. So that should be cool. So Excellent. we've got a cool ship. We've got amphoras. We've got all kinds of fun stuff. 
Do I remember that you actually have a cask engine as well in the brewery? So we have, um, we actually have six beer engines. So we can put six different cask or firkins on at once. Uh, we have not started that yet, but hopefully we will soon. We've been kind of backordered on the parts uh, since before the brewery opened. So <laughs> uh, hopefully it doesn't take a year and a half, two years to get the parts because we sure would like to have some some beers on those hand pumps. Yeah, there's nothing like it, honestly. So yeah. very cool. A lot of people don't even know what they are. It blows my mind. So. Yeah, so another one of the uh, your local breweries there, uh, you know, Brass Ring. I don't know if you've ever been out there before. Chris yeah. does a hell of a good job with his cask conditioned beers. And I just love, you know, I've never had an IPA that wasn't, uh, you know, carbonated, that just was pumped like that. And, I mean, it's so much better. <laughs> it really is. You know, people ask us, oh, you're going to have nitro beers. And we're like, nope. No, but uh, we've got some hand pulls we'll get going soon. So, yeah, I think, I, you know, I think that's another thing that I really appreciate about what you're doing there at Archival is you're not really, it's no frills. It's all just what you see is what you get kind of stuff, which, which I can appreciate. Yeah, it's great. They've really kind of knocked it out of the park with this one. Well, hey, Dan, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. I look forward to uh, hopefully at some point, maybe raising a glass again with you and uh, look forward maybe to seeing you at one of these uh, Michigan Beer Fest. That'd be awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. Appreciate the opportunity. You know, I could talk about beer all day long. So <laughs> anytime uh, you want to chat again, feel free. Hey, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Last call. It's nearly time to wrap things up. But first, one more for the road. This episode, I'm drinking The Duke Says Nine from Archival Brewing in Belmont, Michigan. This is a Kotbusser-style beer. From the brewer, The Duke of Bavaria was ultimately the reason for the Reinheitsgebot, otherwise known as the German Purity Law, effectively putting out of production brews such as the Kotbusser. Brewed with the traditional wheat, oats, honey, and molasses, The Duke Says Nine is a clean lager with Kolsch yeast. Light and refreshing. Just to make sure that everyone's on the same page here, the German purity law was issued in April 1516 by the Bavarian Duke Wilhelm IV. It stipulated that only water, barley, and hops were allowed to be used as key ingredients for beer production. This was introduced to achieve a consistent level of quality in beer brewing. The important role that yeast plays in brewing was really only recognized in the 19th century. Without further delay, so I'm going to pour this out into a nice Pilsner glass. I feel like this is kind of a, uh, a glass that uh, might be used for special regal kind of beer. It pours out a nice uh, kind of deep golden color. It has a, a little bit of effervescence. It's got a, a nice generous foam head on it. It's got an almost honey sort of profile in nose, a little bit of sweetness to it. And part of that could be coming from the, uh, the coal yeast as well. So first sip impression. Oh, it's definitely got that nice coal kind of profile to it. Very smooth, very clean. Definitely can taste the, the honey in there. Uh, even, I think, get a little bit of the, uh, the molasses too. Just a tiny bit there at the end. Uh, it's got a nice uh, crispness to it. It's, uh, as I said, it's clean looking. 
aromatic, a little bit of a fruity nose. This beer clocks in at 6% ABV, so it's definitely one that uh, is sessionable, one that's uh, certainly crushable. More and more, I find myself gravitating towards beers like the Kolsch or this Kottbusser. It's just uh, so nice and light, and, and as I've talked with uh, many brewers before, uh, it really highlights the talent with which a brewer uh, brews. Uh, if you can do a Kolsch or a Lager or a Pilsner really well, I, I know that you've got game on the brewing scene. This is such a great beer. Hard to believe that this was put out of production in Germany back in the 1500s. Mm, great, great beer. The Everyman says, yeah. I give this one four tasters out of five on the flight board. Cheers, Archival. Again, I want to give a big shout out to the Danimal for giving the Everyman this excellent historical brew to review. If you've got a beer you'd like me to drink and describe, leave a comment below. If you're a brewer and have one in mind, direct message me on Instagram and let's see what we can do. That's all for this episode of the 5 Beer Plan. With so many podcasts out there, thanks for choosing to listen to mine. Join me next time for my first segment of Looking for Lupulin, continue my homebrew adventure, and sit down with Chris and Trevor from One Well Brewing in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Remember to hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. I'd love to hear from you, so please follow me on Instagram, 5 Beer Plan 2022, and leave a comment to let me know what your favorite interview was this year. Be sure to support your local breweries, choose your beers wisely, and drink them responsibly. Until next time, keep walking your ale trail, and stay thirsty, my friends. was the night before Christmas, when all through the house, many critters were stirring, including a mouse. The stockings were stuffed with craft beer and flair, in hopes that Dan Potter soon would be there. The drinkers were nestled all snug in their chairs, while visions of spiced ale danced in their hairs. My beerski in his kerchief, and I in my ball cap, had just settled our thoughts on a long-ass nightcap. When out on the roof, there arose such a clatter, I fell out of my seat and was soon drenched in beer splatter. Away to the window I lurched like a bear, tore open the shutter, and slipped on a pear. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the sense of midday to my brain that was slow. When what to my hazy eye should appear, but a gigantic brew kettle and eight drunken reindeer. With a large-bearded driver, so loaded and rammy, I knew in a moment it must be my friend Danny. More slowly than sloths, his coursers they came, and he snickered and shouted and called them by name. Now iced here, now brass ring, now adroit and hairy, 
on Chapman's, on Twinelst, Trace Gatos and Nicks. To the top of the porch, to the top of the stall. Now drink away, drink away, drink away all. As dry hops that into the cooled wart will fly, when they come to a hurdle, shoot for the sky. So up to the rooftop, the reindeer they flew, with a keg full of beer and good old Danny too. But ho, in an instant, I heard on the roof the tripping and laughing of each little hoof. As I pulled in my head and tottered around, down the chimney Mr. Potter fell with much sound. He was dressed like a meatball from his head to his foot, and his robes were all dirty with barley and soot. A shitload of good beer he had flung on his back, and he looked like a saint as he opened that pack. His eyes, they were glassy, his eyebrows, how merry! His cheeks were quite rosy, his nose like a cherry. His broad, goofy mouth was drawn up in a U, and the beard on his face had tidbits of brew. The stump of a pipe hung slack from his teeth, and the smoke it released stank truly of beef. He had a large face and a nice muffin top that shook when he laughed like a keg of wet hops. He was happy and plump, a right drunken court jester, and I laughed when I saw him just like Uncle Fester. A Jack Nicholson eye and a nod of his head soon gave me to know the best was ahead. He slurred several words and spoke to the crew, filling all glasses with the freshest of brew. Then poking a finger right into his navel, he popped up the chimney like some screwball old fable. He fell into his kettle and belched like a sailor, while those eight crazy deer peeled out with the trailer. But I heard him exclaim as he flew out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Have a safe and wonderful holiday, everyone. Cheers! Special thanks to PorchDrinking.com for a fun adaptation of the classic poem by Clement Clark Moore. Slight modification of the poem by me, and apologies to Dan Potter, who embodies the spirit and joy of beer. Thank you, my friend.